Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County, Georgia Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our guest, Dr. Michael Owens, Democratic candidate for Georgia Secretary of State. Welcome to the show, Michael. We're so happy to have you with us today. Hi, Meryl. It's just such a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about the show and get an opportunity to be on. So thank you. Well, wonderful. Let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. Dr. Michael Owens is a Marine Corps veteran trained in communications, engineering, and counterterrorism. Michael joined the Marine Corps at 17 while still in high school. So thank you for your service, sir. After his senior year, he completed recruit training at Paris Island and later attended Officers Candidate School in Quantico, Virginia. After completing his tour of duty and an undergraduate degree in technology, Michael launched his information technology and cybersecurity career. He has led innovation, complex technology, and data protection projects in over 100 different countries and industries before launching his own cybersecurity consulting firm. As an internationally renowned expert, in cybersecurity, Michael has held leadership roles at some of the largest companies in the world, including Fidelity Investments, Coca-Cola, and Cisco, where he was responsible for tackling critical cybersecurity, data privacy, and technology issues. In 2017, after two Russian cybersecurity attacks left more than 220. 5,000 Ukrainians without power, he was selected as one of 16 cybersecurity experts and policymakers from around the world to be featured speakers and advisors at their inaugural Global Cybersecurity Summit in Kiev, Ukraine. He is also a former chair of the Cobb County Democratic Party and has served as a state leader with the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, representing the 13th Congressional District for the last five years. Additionally, Michael is a member of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta and a VP on the Board of Directors for Latinos in Information Technology Association's Georgia Tech Latino Council. Woo, that is a mouthful. You've accomplished quite a bit. Congratulations. So let's dive right in. You've stated that as Secretary of State, you will restore faith in our elections by making them more accessible while combating misinformation, disinformation, and external threats. What is the current Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, a Republican, of course, doing or not doing to make this happen? And how will you ensure transparency in the office? Well, thanks for that question. I was saying, what was he doing? My answer was not nearly enough. No. And in some aspects, not doing enough and other aspects doing too much. And I'll explain that a bit. The cornerstone of our democracy, the embedded belief in the way that democracy works is having a basic sense of trust in the system. And I think that basic sense of trust and transparency has been lost. And there's many, many reasons why. And I've heard it, as you mentioned, I'm the former chairman of the Democratic Party in Cobb County. I've heard it from both sides, right? Democrats, Republicans, mm -hmm. Libertarians, everyone has an opinion and thoughts. But more importantly, everyone has concerns about our election systems, the cornerstone, the key of democracy, and how that's being played out. You know, another aspect of what I think is happening too much of is this misinformation and disinformation. The Secretary of State's office should be the last place that we should have to worry about combating misinformation, disinformation. But unfortunately, what we've seen here in the state of Georgia is that a lot of the disinformation literally starts 
within the Secretary of State's office and in breeding these ideas of mistrust and falsities around voter fraud and ideas about people voting twice. And all of these issues have really, unfortunately, came out of the Secretary of State's office, which leads everyone with an idea of mistrust. And I think that's what's placed us with a great opportunity this year to be able to go out and do something totally fantastic, which is restoring faith and trust in our election systems, bringing back a sense of integrity to make sure that every eligible voter has a right to vote. And has access to the ballot box, may I add. It doesn't... That's a whole other discussion. We didn't even start talking about the voter suppression piece of this. Right. (laughs) I know. There's so much to discuss and only a limited time to discuss it. So yes, how do you think Georgia SB 202, now that it's law, the voter suppression law, how do you think that will affect turnout? this year in this critical election cycle? Well, I think all of the things being constant, it will achieve what it was set out to achieve, which is to disproportionately impact the number of voters that show up primarily in black and brown communities. That was the purpose of the bill. It is voter suppression in its clearest form. But we have ways of combating that. And we have done that in the past. And I think we will continue to do that, which is we will organize, we will call to action, we will do whatever it takes to ensure that people know about elections and they turn out. Now, from the role of Secretary of State, again, that's where we face the situation where we're in as to where we have an office and a Secretary of State who's seemed to make it his own personal goal, which is to make sure people do not turn out to vote. So yes, SB 202 is law. And I can tell you as Secretary of State, my goal will be to ensure that We have some of the largest voter turnouts we've ever had in the state of Georgia. Some of the largest voter turnout in modern history is what I want to see happen. And we can do that even in face of SB 202 if we do some of the basic things that needs to be done. And those are core principles. First and foremost, we have to stop voter suppression. We just mentioned that a second ago, but we absolutely have to stop the aggressive tactics that's been taking place. And some of those are within the bill, but a lot of those were happening, remember, before SB 202 even became law. There's plenty examples of voter suppression that was already happening. So we have to immediately, through the power of the Secretary of State's office, stop those things, such as the overly aggressive purging of voting rolls through changing and closing polling locations, again, in black and brown neighborhoods for unwarranted reasoning. From what I consider on purpose, making voting lines obsessively long so that that in itself is voter suppression, because you know as well as I do when people show up to vote and they see a line wrapped around the building, Mm -hmm. a lot of people won't even stay. You mentioned about accessibility earlier, but accessibility also is equated to availability, which means availability of people being able to get to polling stations, but also when they get there, that the polling machines are actually up and running as they should. We've seen far too many instances of not having availability simply because machines are not available. We have to change those. Yes, we do. And of course, the only way to change that is to elect Democrats. (laughs) So (laughs) there you have it. Is this why you decided to run at this point in time? I think that that lays it out. Not only do we have to have a Democrat to win the Secretary of State's office, we have to have a Democrat that understands how critical infrastructures work. We have to understand the challenges that we have today, the threats that we are facing, not only today, but that we will see in the future. You know, for so long, the Secretary of State's office has been this back office bureaucratic type role, whereas people looking for a political promotion, somewhere for an elected official to go to hang out for a few years until tidewaters receded and they could find somewhere to go. This has to be a time and place where 
we have to change because we know we're facing threats that we've never seen before. What I'm asking is the people of Georgia to realize that we have to have a secretary of state who truly understands those challenges and want to do the actual work of secretary of state. And it's not just a hashtag. You know, we all talk about defending democracy and protecting voting rights, but it has to go past the hashtags. What I bring to the table is 25 years of experience in building, defining and ensuring that critical infrastructure systems work the way they should, ensuring that we are protecting ourselves from the threats of Russia and China and North Korea. And unfortunately, nowadays, we're also having to defend our own election systems against our domestic terrorists, right, against threats that we have internally. There's an article that came out this past week to talk about how we now even have to look at elections internally from internal threat. And I do this. I think I'll cornerstone this with, this is the work that I've done for the last 25 years, and specifically in cybersecurity and data protection, and ensuring that the way that information is supposed to be tabulated and reported is accurate. And again, I think people at the end of the day want to be sure that their vote's going to count. And when the election is tabulated, that everyone can be sure about the way the vote turns out. And I think that's key. You know, and the last thing that really kind of propelled me is the challenges that we're seeing with our own information remaining safe, i.e. the threats that we're having protecting and securing our own data. Going back to when Brian Kemp was Secretary of State with multiple data breaches, since Secretary Raffensperger has been Secretary of State, we've had other instances of data not being protected. Just in February, there was notifications of EasyVote, which is an external company that has access to 121 different county information of voter data. That voting data was breached. There was a data leak there. We cannot continue to allow this to happen. We have to put some frameworks in place. We have to have accountability. We have to make sure that everyone is able to be comfortable with our vote. I talk to people all the time. They ask me, you know, Michael, I want to make sure my vote counts. I want to make sure our election is safe. I want to make sure that when I go to the votes for someone, I know that counts. And that's what I'm talking about when I mentioned restoring faith in our elections and restoring trust is that we may not always be happy with the outcome because it's very clear myself as a background, I want Democrats to win without a doubt. But I clearly, within the purview of the Secretary of State's office, understand that it's not about Democrat or Republican. It's about making sure that all Georgians that are eligible to vote have that right to have their voices heard. And at the end of the day, whoever does the best organizing, whoever has the best candidate, that's ultimately who's going to win And we all have to be comfortable with that. And when I was in the Marine Corps, I served under Republican presidents. I served under Democratic presidents. It did not matter. What mattered was the mission. What mattered was getting the job done. What mattered was keeping America safe. And that's what I want to do as Secretary of State. Fantastic. Well, we're we're very lucky to have you on our side. And personally speaking, I'm so glad that you're running. That's Wonderful, Michael. So you've also said that you will assist small businesses as they struggle to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, providing 24-hour support hotlines, improved online assistance, and regional support teams to assist county offices within the customer service confines. Tell us more about your initiatives and goals and how you will get all this done. So much of the election in the Secretary of State's office is focused on voting rights and elections and elections security, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. We have to get that fixed. With the understanding about Secretary of State's office is it, there's a wide purview of roles and responsibilities that go with the Secretary of State's office. And a large part of that is dealing with our business community, i.e. ensuring we cover their business registration 
for all of businesses. In a lot of ways, that helps to set the landscape for businesses when you are at the helm of ensuring that you're getting businesses registered. Another large part of that is also with the professional licenses. So the Secretary of State is responsible for 42 different licensing boards in the state of Georgia. So that ranges from chiropractors and nurses, the architects, professional engineers. And as an engineer, I can tell you just how important that is. You know, my mother is a retired nurse and I can remember her registering over and over and, and ensuring that she's keeping up with her learning credits and doing the things necessary to stay licensed in this state. And that's an area we cannot afford to falter. And yes, COVID stressed that as it stressed many areas. And I want to make sure that we don't lose sight on those important business aspects as well. I tell a lot of people that the role of Secretary of State is not a legislative role. Therefore, it's not about how you will vote on this issue or that issue or this bill or that bill. It is a executive role within the state of Georgia. And that means it's important that we have someone as Secretary of State who understands business, who actually has managed multi-million dollar budgets, that is able to be decisive and set out a clear plan and vision, even in the face of adversity. Because let's be honest about this. I'm hoping that every single Democrat on the ballot that is up for the challenge wins. But the likelihood is that I will become Secretary of State in a landscape where we still have Republican Georgia Senate and a Republican Georgia House. Mm, unfortunately. So the facts of the matter, it will become, how are we still successful in light of those challenges in a potential adversarial type landscape. So when I look at what needs to be done, you know, a lot of people talk about Georgia's the number one state to do business in. And I say, that's great. That's fantastic. I want it to stay that way. But I also want Georgia to be the number one state for everybody to do business in. So when we're talking about our veterans, when we talk about our women-owned businesses, when we talk about our black and brown-owned businesses, I want to make sure they're able to do just as well as all other businesses as well. So the idea of having the support structures built in, I've spoken with many people across the state and I tell them, I want you to take your side hustle. I want you to take your grind. I want you to take your hobby and turn it into a legitimate business and be able to go out and thrive. And I am amazed at how many people have found it very, very hard simply to be able to go onto the Secretary of State's website and in a meaningful way, being able to go through, fill out the paperwork necessary to just start the sole proprietorship or their LLC. And it just shouldn't be that way, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to continue to expand that. You know, the first public speaking engagement I had after I announced that I was running for Secretary of State, I was reached out to by the North Georgia Nonprofit Summit that was going on, and they wanted me to speak as a keynote speaker about how to keep small businesses and nonprofits safe. Because the fact that a lot of people don't know about is one out of every six small businesses go out of business if they succumb to a large cybersecurity attack. They simply cannot withstand that. I didn't know the numbers were that voluminous. Wow. Yes. One out of six. Because if we think about the landscape now, no matter what business you're in, no matter what industry and no matter what size of the company, mm -hmm. everyone now is dependent on the internet in some shape or form to be able to do their job. Even go down to farms down in South Georgia. I went through Leadership Georgia in 2018, and it was one of the great experiences I've had because it truly opened my eyes to the entire state of Georgia and just how important that the role of Secretary of State is and the aspects and how we can improve that. You know, I'm a big fan of making sure that we're expanding broadband throughout the state of Georgia. And along with that does come the responsibility of ensuring that we're not only adding broadband, adding internet access, but we're also able to do that in a safe and secure manner. So as we're giving businesses more access to the internet, we're also giving them the tools. So one of the things that you didn't mention I'd also like to do 
is for every licensed business that comes online every year, I want to make sure we give them a small business cybersecurity toolkit as well. We make sure we give them the resources with the connections I have with DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and the Cyber Infrastructure Agency in Washington, D.C., so we can make sure we do more partnerships. I also want to do more public-private partnerships with small businesses to ensure they're able to, again, not just have a business, but they're able to thrive. I talked about having a small business innovation council. You know, many entrepreneurs and business leaders across the state who's been in business for 25, 30, 35 years, and they're willing to give their time back Mm -hmm. and work with entrepreneurs and brand new business owners to help them along the way. Because again, we have to make sure Georgia's the number one state to do business in for everybody. And I want to help make sure that happens as well. There's a program that I was involved in when I was a young budding entrepreneur called SCORE. Yes, I remember it. Yeah, exactly. Is that still around? I don't really know. But what I know is I would like to make that something of that nature truly embedded into what we're doing within the Secretary of State's office to make sure that we're able to provide more than just a business registration, right? Right. We've got to take a step further and make sure that we're connecting dots with people. And, you know, that's not something that's costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, you know, it's something my grandmother used to tell me is show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities. Correct. And right now, when I look across the landscape of things that the secretary of state's office has spent money on, the vast majority of that has gone to ensuring that it's making it harder for people to vote. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about any of you, but it's gut-wrenching to me to know that our tax dollars is going towards efforts to make it harder for people to vote in the state. And that's absolutely wrong. So I want to make sure we're spending dollars in the Secretary of State's office that's going to enable more people to be able to vote, that's going to empower more business owners, that's going to give more opportunities to professional licensors here so that our nurses, our architects, our engineers can have more opportunities for training. And these are the things that I want to make sure we're spending money on. Instead, we have a secretary of state who long before a single vote was cast in 2020, money was spent on standing up a voter fraud task force. Mm -hmm. Which was such an utter waste of time and effort and money. Not only was a waste of time and money, I stand on this. That literally planted the seed not only in Georgia, but across the country, that there would be widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election when it was meritless, when it was baseless, when there was not a single thread of evidence to show that. So what happened because of this? Because that voter fraud task force, we saw calls across Georgia calling into question the election. Mm -hmm. President Trump used that to call that into question. The whole Stop the Steal movement was based on that. And ultimately, we had the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C., all because of what happened with Brad Raffensperger starting this disinformation and spending our money to create this task force, which should have never been created. Correct. And I agree with you completely because when we've seen the few instances across the country where it actually happened, it was Republicans, not Democrats sure. yes. that were defrauding. Several weeks ago, it just came out when Secretary Raffensperger talked about how many people had voted twice and thousands of people. And, you know, again, you go back, they looked at the numbers and it was nowhere near that amount. Mm-hmm. So, again, disinformation literally coming from the one place where it absolutely shouldn't. The Secretary of State's office should be the record of truth. It should be that one place place where we're disseminating information. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure that we're treating it such as we're doing PSAs because I want to make sure every single person in this state knows when elections are 
that we're doing everything we can to kind of ensure that it's the role of Secretary of State to make sure there's fair, free, secure, and effective elections. And I think that's where we need to focus on. Anything else outside of that purview, I think is a distraction. I think it's a waste of money. Yes, we need federal reforms when it comes to elections. We need the John Lewis Freedom Act to be passed. Right. But what do we have? We have Secretary Raffensperger who came up with his own ideas about what needs to happen. And now this past session, we saw this push to try to have some redundancy around only citizens can vote. Well, that's not anything new. But again, if you can spin that, if you can tell people, hey, we need a bill to make sure only citizens can vote. Well, what are people going to think? Oh, well, if we need that bill, then, you know. Right. There must be a lot of non-citizens voting, which doesn't happen. They can't. Exactly. It doesn't happen. And we already have laws in place. So again, spending taxpayers' money, wasting legislators' time on having to go through this is something that we continue to see. This latest thing about well, now we need to have highway patrol, we need to have officers, we need to have a police force for a No, we don't. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that our poll workers feel safe. We need to make sure they're secure. We need to make sure we have sufficient monitoring in place. So when I talk about election security, I want to be very clear that I'm talking about that in the framework of tried and true best practices that we operate in within the cybersecurity space, that we know these are things that we can do across any critical infrastructure system to make sure that it's more accurate and to make sure that results turn out how they should. We have availability. We do not have people tampering in the process. That does not mean, when I talk about election security, it does not mean voter fraud or any of the other myths that the Republican Party likes to throw on. When they talk about election integrity, they mean making it harder for people to vote. Yes, exactly. When I talk about election security, I talk about protecting our critical infrastructure systems and protecting our personal information to make sure that it's not tampered or altered. And those are two totally, completely different things. Yes, they are. And thank you for clarifying that. So moving on, how will you lead Georgia's 159 county registrars in updating their systems to address 21st century threats? And you've talked about this a little bit and increase their customer service options for a 21st century economy. How will you make that happen? Because Georgia is such a big state. It's so sprawling. There are so many rural areas in our state. How will you coordinate that action? I think, first of all, you just have to lead. And I think you lead by example. You ensure that you're putting the necessary frameworks in place. And again, kind of going back to best practices, yes, there's 159 different counties in the state of Georgia. You mentioned earlier, I've worked on critical infrastructure projects in over 100 countries. Right. Where I'm at now, heading up cybersecurity, we have hundreds and thousands of different endpoints that we have to secure, thousands of locations where we have critical information that we have to ensure is secured. And to do that, you have to get everyone aligned. And the way you do that is ensure that you have sound, repeatable processes, right? You have a framework that you put in place. You bring everybody together and ensure that you have a plan to move things forward. And I think that's absolutely possible. But what I also have to say is that I always talk about making changes where I can change and have an impact where I can. Before I can explicitly talk about exactly what we need to do, I have to be able to become the secretary of state and see exactly what there is to be done. I'm a certified information security auditor. So the first thing that we need to do is audit our policies and our procedures to ensure 
that not only from the Secretary of State's office, but all of our 159 counties are doing the things they need to do to ensure that we have more streamlined processes, we have secure policies in place, and that we can all start to get on the same accord. Now, you also mentioned the diversity and the variety that's there, and that is true from some of our largest counties in the state to some of our absolute smallest counties in the state. What I can tell you is there are truths, there are golden policies, if you will, that do not change. Mm -hmm. We have to have security parameters in place that do not change from place to place. We have to have safeguarding methods around ensuring that the identity of people, we have to have safeguards in place to make sure that we're being effective and efficient. And obviously, we have to make sure that we are adhering to the law. But that's very possible to be able to do. And at the same time, ensuring that we're doing all the outreach that we absolutely can to ensuring that we're making it easy and as efficient as possible for people to vote in a manner that works best for them, Mm -hmm. whether that's absentee voting, whether that's early voting, whether that's voting election day. I want to make sure that we're expanding that through robust Saturday voting. We have Sunday voting in every single county that's possible because I'm an engineer by trade. So for me, it's about solving problems. Like show me a problem. I want to be able to solve it. One thing I know in the state of Georgia that we're good at is logistics. Right. We have the world's busiest airport right down the road from me. Mm-hmm. We're at the confluence of 285, 75, 85. We have a railroad that runs from New York City to Louisiana. We have one of the world's busiest ports down in Savannah. But it's amazing to me that we can process millions of boxes through FedEx and Amazon. We can tackle millions of pieces of cargo and people through the Hartsville-Jackson Airport, but we can't find a way to put 2,000 people through a polling location in a decent amount of time. It's insane. I mean, it boggles the mind. We can do all that. We can't do this. And so I tell people there's two reasons behind that. Number one, it's on purpose. That's where voter suppression comes in. Right. It's absolutely on purpose. We don't follow the law, number one, with states that we should cap polling locations at 2,000 people. We have far too many polling locations that have more than 2,000 people. We don't effectively maintain the equipment. Having lines wrapped around buildings, I mentioned before, does nothing more than deter people from going to vote. When we don't have Saturday voting, well, we do by law at least one, when we don't have Sunday voting, in the day that most people are off work, we don't have voting on that day. Right. It's crazy. Now, we won't get into talking about having a national election day, mm-hmm. but let's just make it simple. On the one day that most people are off work, that's when most places do not offer voting. So we can have some common sense approaches to this, but that's my first thing is it's by design. The second part of it is it's incompetence. Mm-hmm. Yes. We don't have smooth, effective election systems and voting because it's incompetent people. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that going back to what I said at the top of the podcast, that we have not invested the time, energy, or capital into our election process, nor have we elected people to the Secretary of State's office that actually has experience in deploying systems and ensuring that we're doing data modeling, whatever it takes, right? Right. And to have this type of deployment so we can do this. So when you put the two together, what do you have? You have a very unfriendly voting experience and far too many people experience that and then they don't show back up to vote or they only go vote for presidential election and they're not going to bother standing in line for what they would consider less important elections. We have to change that paradigm. We have to restore the competence in the people. And I'm not talking about election workers. I'm not talking about poll managers. These people work very, very hard. And and a lot of aspects, we're not even talking about the election admin staff who do the best they can on budgets that continue to get smaller and smaller, or at least budgets that are not being expanded as Georgia continues to grow and we add more voters. 
the number of election workers we have to have, election staff, should grow in accordance to that. And it doesn't happen. So I want to make sure that I'm advocating for those board of elections and those election teams that have to do this work. But when it comes to secretary of state's office, we have people that's more concerned about their next political position than they are about solving the problems around voting or around expanding businesses for black and brown and women owned businesses. That's where I have a problem with it. And that's what's motivated me to go out and run for this office, because we have to have someone in office that's going to put the actual work first. And you certainly know how to do that work. So thank you, Michael. Before we move on, I want to touch on something that's near and dear to your heart. What are your plans to provide support and guidance to military and veteran organizations and veteran families, whether in starting a business or in certification or licensing? How will you specifically, and I know this is something that's very important to you and near and dear to your heart, how will you help this segment of the population. Yeah, thank you for that. It's very important. Yes, it's near and dear to my heart. I'm a third generation veteran, but actually my family goes back much, much further than that. We've literally traced my family back to some of our earliest ancestors in this country who fought in the American Revolutionary War. Incredible. I grew up on the heels of my father talking about Korea and early aspects of the Indochina War. My grandfather, who was in Guam in the Pacific Theater in World War II, So I grew up hearing the stories about the challenges that they had and being African-Americans on the other side of the world fighting for freedoms that they didn't even have here at home. Mm. So I was shaped and molded by a lot of those stories and probably the reason why I joined the Marine Corps at 17. So it's near and dear to my heart for sure. And there's a couple of things, you know, Georgia first of all, has 700,000 veterans, over 700,000. You know, we're also home to many military bases and reserve duty locations. So when looking at the Secretary of State's office, some of this is challenges that go all the way going back to a kid when I was growing up in a military household. So I look at a couple of things that I want to just talk about here. Number one is that every single career that you have in the public sector, we also have in the military. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. If you're a truck driver, if you're a barber, you know, you're an architect, we have those roles in the military. And what I've seen far too often is that when those people are coming off of active duty and to do a job that they had in the military to come out, far too often they have to reapply, right? They have to apply for a civilian license. They have to pay additional fees. Sometimes they have to go back to school. They have to be recertified. And I just think that's completely not needed in a situation where you have someone who's been doing this for 5, 10, 15 years in the military that they come out and would not be able to transfer licenses. So one of the things I've already kind of delved into with the Army and the Marine Corps is they have programs in place, and I want to enhance and partner with them to ensure that if you are a truck driver in the Marine Corps and you have a license, that there is some reciprocity there and ensure that we have a program that we can even start to put in place before you even get out to make sure that when you get out of the military, you're ready to work day one. There's no additional fees. There's no additional schooling that you have to do. And part of that, though, also is making sure that from a secretary of state's perspective, that our licensing that we have to have in place is up to snuff. And the same way I want to have public-private partnerships with some of our best and brightest companies, I also want to do the same thing with the military to make sure that our service members have the smoothest transition and they're able to work as soon as they come out if we have a professional license that matches with that. That is something that's absolutely doable and something that I want to make sure happens as soon as possible and it crosses many different professions that I possibly can do. The other aspect is slightly different, but it's aligned in a way, but it's for active duty service members and their spouses. So anyone out there that grew up 
as a military kid or even now as a spouse, understand that being in the military is about a lot of moving, right? Mm-hmm. And so the same way we talked about professional licenses, if you have someone who's stationed, let's say in Fort Seal, Oklahoma, and they get transferred anywhere in Georgia and their spouse or partner has a professional license, say they're a chiropractor, I want to make sure that they're able to transfer and come into Georgia and we have reciprocity with that state. So again, they can come in and be ready to work day one. Someone getting transferred, a family, a military family getting transferred from somewhere else to Georgia should not mean if they had a two family income before that automatically becomes a one family income once they come into Georgia. That is an unneeded burden that we will place on military families. I want to make sure we stop that immediately. Again, if we can have reciprocity, which is, you know, as well as I would have been pushed for years and years to have firearm reciprocity across all these different states, there's zero reason why we can't have professional licenses, that we can't have nurses coming in and they're able to come to Georgia and work because their husband or wife is now serving in the state of Georgia. Again, those are additional expenses, time and effort that I do not want to place that burden. If we have military members that are serving their country, the last thing I want to do is burden them with more fees and unnecessary paperwork they have to do just to be able to sustain their family. But we do. That's the problem. As a state and as a country, we don't take care of our veterans. Once they're out of service, there are a few programs. The VA, we know the VA Veterans Administration hospitals are overloaded and over capacity. And Republicans certainly give a lot of lip service to our military and our veterans, but there's no follow-up with that. And I have friends who are veterans who are suffering from PTSD. It's a terrible situation because they don't get that support that they need. And it makes me angry. It's so frustrating. And I think the other aspect of the military is a lot of times different people handle the transition back to civilian life much differently. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that every single veteran that wants to be able to start a business is able to start a business in this state. I want to make sure they have the tools and support to be able to do that as well. And then I want to make sure they have the capacity to be able to thrive. And sometimes it may mean working and partnering with other veterans. I've seen a lot of businesses across the state that are doing well, where veterans have partnered up to be able to go out and do that. But I do think we have to have a more concerted effort to make sure that populations within this state are given all the tools that they possibly can. And let's face it as well. A lot of people have served this country with distinction and honor and have the tools necessary to be able to be not only productive members of society, but to start businesses and to be able to grow and offer a lot of services to people in the state. So I want to go out and do what I can, partner up with bases, partner up with veterans organizations to make sure we do that. You know, I was down in Warner Robins just a couple of weekends ago, and I can't wait to get back down there. I shout out to the new mayor, Patrick. I actually had a great opportunity meeting her. Yes, that was so exciting. Officially endorsed my campaign, so I'm excited about that as well. Great. And so we're able to continue to make moves and talking to people on the base and talking to people that other service industries that are aligned, that are there, that are thriving because the bases are there. And I think that's another thing that we have to think about too, is that as a secretary of state, I also want to be a champion for not only new business being created, but also partner with our economic development authorities across the different counties or within the different counties, partner with chambers of commerce, with our state economic development agency, and ensure that we're working to bring more businesses into Georgia. I would love nothing more that as we're registering new businesses to see new sustainable businesses being started. I was talking with an architect the other day who's like, he wants to be involved more and see more sustainable development happening. I want to make sure that we bring more solar companies into Georgia, that we have more 
homegrown, homespun economic development going on. You know, I, I love the aspect of solar and what we're doing. And if we can have more solar farms throughout the state, it'd be great. If there's more Georgia citizens that are starting those companies, even better. And those are the opportunities that we have. And I think that's part of the opportunity that doesn't necessarily go with the job description, but we completely have that opportunity through the Secretary of State's office to be that champion for those other aspects, for sustainable, for green growth, for ensure that we're adopting those economic drivers of the future, those 21st century type of opportunities. And I'm using the Office of Secretary of State in collaboration with other entities to help make sure those things happen. Why do you suppose it's not happening now? Why do you think that Republicans are so anti-clean energy and I would say even anti-small businesses because they seem to only care about the large corporations? Why do you suppose that is? Because I think it's a legacy of control. Mm. It's a legacy of I already have my pieces in place and I don't need anything else. I don't need disruptors. We're talking about structural elements and infrastructure of control and ownership that's been in place for decades. Mm -hmm. So I think when new technology is introduced, when innovation is introduced, that is seen as disruptive technology. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to embrace that technology, whether it's technology, whether it's principles, or whether it's just opening up to new markets of people, that in itself, I think, is threatening to a lot of Republicans. You know, I think the idea that I've had this business and my grandfather had this business, maybe his grandfather had this business. And however, that's kind of morphed out over the years into other industries, still it's there. And so the idea of upstarts, the idea of expanding business opportunities to women-owned businesses, to black and brown-owned businesses, those are affronts, those are challenges to the societal norms of the power structures. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too much into that, but I do think it is an important cog because when I talk about making sure Georgia is the number one state to do business in for everybody, that is what I mean. Right. Not just big business. For years, I was down at the Capitol advocating and trying to find ways for small businesses to be able to win more state contracts. I think a lot of those contracts are written and I've seen a lot of them. And the way that they're written, it only affords certain few companies to be able to qualify based on how the criteria for companies that will qualify are written in a way that most small businesses cannot. And unfortunately, several small companies can't bind together, which I think is a fantastic idea, right, to be able to win a contract. So there's a lot of opportunities, I think, that are out there for small businesses to be better supported. We talked about the SCORE type program, the Business Innovation Council that I want to start, ideas of ensuring that companies and businesses are able to stay safe, public-private partnerships where we can do a lot more to make sure that when we have startups, I think Georgia has a vibrant startup community and I want to do everything I can to be able to support that more. I got my MBA from Georgia Tech. and I don't know if there's a better business incubator out there for being able to take ideas and be able to launch those and put them out there into the world as successful businesses. Man, as Secretary of State, someone who's responsible for the business registration and landscape of the state, I want to make sure that I'm hooked right in with Georgia State and UGA and Georgia Tech and Valdosta University and Fort Valley and Morehouse to be able to tap these minds and make sure that if there are entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs that are out there, if we can connect with professors, teach innovation and logistics, that we can have a very vibrant state and truly be that number one state to do business for everyone. If we just adopted those principles, if we really put our mind and effort towards tapping the true all-around talent that we have here in this state. And far too often, I've challenged people, even, even myself in corporate America, I've challenged people, I've challenged recruiters 
to go out and find talent in places where you normally don't look. Georgia Tech and UGA are fine places to find talent, but go to Georgia State, go to Fort Valley, go down to Albany State. I challenge people to go to other areas and find other opportunities, find people that are willing to go in, embrace women in technology organizations to go out. I truly think we're better when we uplift everybody. And I know we have those opportunities. I want to do my part as Secretary of State to be that challenge, to be that innovator to help call some of that out. Like I said before, help to just connect some of those dots. Mm -hmm. It's not about the office necessarily doing that work, but man, it's very important to have an opportunity to have a secretary of state that's willing to connect those dots, is willing to embrace small businesses, that's willing to go down to South Georgia and Middle Georgia and ensure that those businesses down there are working effectively at their own line, that they're able to kind of connect in with the rest of the state to where they're able to compete globally, which is, I think, something that we don't talk nearly enough about and understanding what our strengths and weaknesses are and work to close those gaps. My dissertation was in U.S.-based multinational corporations and their interrelationship with the State Department. Mm. And the reason I bring that up is because when we start talking about the work that the Secretary of State can do and how we can partner with Washington, D.C., and how we can partner with our farmers, how we can partner with our technology communities, we got an incredible opportunity for Georgia to be that Southeastern hub of the United States, but also be one of the leaders in the world when it comes to automation, when it comes to agriculture, which I think we already are, and technology and cyber, we have the capability to do that here within the state of Georgia. But we need a secretary of state that's going to push for those things, that's going to do the outreach, that's going to work and partner and help make Georgia a more friendly place, help make Georgia more of a place where businesses are willing to come, that we don't lose any more all-star games, that we don't have industries willing to pick up and move to other states simply because they don't agree with our draconian laws and the way that we treat people. You know, the way that we treat people, i.e. in this situation, the way that we put barriers in place and make it harder. When I say we, you know, I'm specifically talking about the Republican Party and the current Secretary of State's office, the way that they put barriers in place for people to do the basic truth of being able to have your voice heard at the ballot box. I can't blame companies for not wanting to come here. I can't blame teams for wanting to relocate. This has to stop now. This has to stop in 2022 before it gets any worse. Because if we continue down this path, we're going to continue to have a state to where people don't feel comfortable. Businesses don't want to come. And that's something we absolutely can't have. I'm looking forward to Stacey Abrams becoming governor, to Michael Lowens becoming the next secretary of state to Reverend Warnock getting reelected to the United States Senate and us making Georgia a more inclusive place for everyone, for businesses, for individuals, for immigrants, and for every hardworking Georgia that wants to go out and, and do the best they can. Absolutely. And we're so lucky that you have all these great ideas to make that happen. So thank you for that, Michael. If someone wants to learn more about you, if they want to donate or volunteer for your campaign, where would you send them? I would please ask everyone to go to www.owensforgeorgia.com. That's O-W-E-N-S-F-O-R georgia.com. There you will find ways to be able to volunteer, to donate, to help out the campaign in many ways. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram. 
And if that doesn't work, look for your local Democratic County Committee, because I'll probably be at one of those pretty soon. Oh, we're going to see you up here at our candidate forum on April 30th. So we greatly look forward to seeing you in person as well. So finally, Michael, and I ask all my guests this question, tell us a fun fact about yourself, something not necessarily having to do with your campaign or your stellar political career, which no matter how this turns out, I know will continue and your star will continue to rise because you're a rock star. As far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Tell us something fun, something personal, just about you. Oh, man. There's lots of different things. I'll tell you, I'm a huge Jeopardy fan. (gasps) No, really? A huge Jeopardy fan. Losing Alex Trebek felt like part of my childhood dying. Oh, yes. I can say I've never lost a Jeopardy match ever. So I challenge anyone out there to Jeopardy. Great. That's a fabulous idea. We should set that up. Yes, yes. Candidate Jeopardy. There we go. Yes. Who do you want to see replacing Alex? My choice, without a doubt, was LeVar Burton. (gasps) Yes, I love LeVar. Someone else who holds a place dear with me. Right. And fun fact, who I very, very often get confused with, happened just several weeks ago. Someone thought I was LeVar Burton. Are you serious? Yes, yes. I am absolutely serious. It's happened to me most of my adult life, so it's not new, but definitely a fun fact there. But I think my love of Jeopardy kind of dovetails with my love for history. I I think I'm a huge history buff. I love pre-Columbian ruins and traveling to places. So I think that's fun. I love basketball or tennis, my favorite sports without a doubt. Still try to play both whenever I can get out and do so. And I tell people this shocker, if you will, but I'm a lover of country music. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I really have to expand that, though, because I'm a lover of almost all music. I think being a country music fan shocks a lot of people. But when I tell people, you know, I grew up in the rural South. I mean, I grew up at the end of a mile long dirt road in a town that only had two stoplights and one of them just blinked. Mm, Wow. You were just as likely to see a car go up the road as a horse or a lawnmower, maybe even. (laughs) There you go. So, yeah, I grew up in the country, so country music was was part of it. But I'm a lover of all music, of all places and things. So, yeah, I enjoy getting out and seeing the world. That's wonderful. And it's fabulous that you can bring a global perspective to the statewide office, which is so inherently important. And I could talk to you all day. Literally, I could talk to you all day, Michael. But unfortunately, we're running short on time. So thank you for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Democratic Party policy and maintain our democracy. I'm Meryl Clark. And on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue podcast. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FannonCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe and follow. And if you enjoy our podcast, be a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com slash patron. Now with three different giving levels to choose from, offering cool swag, recognition on the show and website, and valuable gift cards to help us continue getting into more good trouble. 